if I didn't do what I did, I, I would just kind of cease to exist. Right. It's Love always that. been that way. And if you don't have that burning desire, you got nothing to start with. Right. You got to be ready to fight for your story. Absolutely. If you're not willing to fight for the story that you're trying to tell, get on the bus and go home. We are fucking tired of the numbers coming out year after year saying, hey, guess what? Women made no gains. Right. Color made no gains as far as the industry is concerned. And, you know, we're a small fish in a ginormous ocean. And if we keep behaving like we can't make the waves, then I, I feel like nobody's ever going to make the waves. Old women would hang and write his stuff, usually naked. But uh, that's another story. I'm not going to get into that. That's his deal. But, uh, but anyway. So you weren't nude on set? No, no. Oh, bummer. Um, <laughs> I had yeah, to. So. That would be scary. Yeah, um, that would be scary. But Mark Hamill's Joker was like in that first mm. like five. You know, hello. Yeah. That's so so wonderful to see you. <laughs> oh you know, my, nice. I could use so, that as a soundbite. By the way, that's fantastic. Oh please. Welcome to the Cinema After Dark podcast. My name is Max Cole, and I'm the host and producer of this show. And I'm broadcasting from the entertainment capital of the world, sunny Los Angeles, California. The sun has set, and the moonlight is now upon us. Thanks so much for joining me on this broadcast tonight. I want to remind all of our listeners that you can listen to all of the episodes of this show. If you subscribe to our podcast and iTunes, you can also find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play. Remember, if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this podcast, make sure you reach out to me via the contact link on our website. Please make sure you have some skin in the game prior to reaching out. And by skin in the game, you just need to have a few credits under your belt. We certainly value that for credibility. I also strongly encourage you to follow us on Twitter at Cinema After Dark for the latest show updates. I want to remind everyone that this is an information and discussion-based show. We do not censor ourselves, and we certainly do not censor our guests. So please keep in mind that the views and opinions expressed on this podcast may not reflect the views and opinions of the host. We've got a wonderful guest tonight, a conversation that I feel will be very, very informative for you filmmakers out there and indie film enthusiasts. Her name is Emily Best, and she is the founder and CEO of Seed and Spark. And let me tell you a little bit about Miss Best. Emily Best is the founder and the CEO of Seed and Spark, a subscription video streaming and crowdfunding platform that gives filmmakers the power to take control of their careers. In 2011, she produced a feature film, Like the Water, starring Caitlin Fitzgerald from Masters of Sex and rectify. Since then, she has served as an executive producer on a host of films and virtual reality projects that have played at festivals from Sundance to South by Southwest to Tribeca and beyond. Most recently, she created and co-directed a web series titled Fuck Yes, which Refinery29 called the sex education you wish you had in high school. Emily was named a 2013 IndieWire Influencer, a 2014 New York Woman of Influence, was included on the 2015 Upstart 100 list and graduated from the 2016 class 
of Techstars Boston. She's raised millions of dollars in traditional funding, equity crowdfunding, and rewards-based crowdfunding, and contributed to over 300 crowdfunding campaigns to date. That's quite an accomplishment, and Emily is certainly very well decorated, someone that I feel is really going to help you with your crowdfunding campaigns. So you certainly want to tune into this podcast, first-time listeners and long-time listeners. This is that part of the show where I ask that you make that fresh batch of popcorn, sit back, relax, and get comfortable while you listen to tonight's guest. We have certainly got a treat here this evening. My God, Miss Emily Best, my goodness, such a pleasure having you on the podcast here tonight. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. Oh, geez, I am so excited. I love what you are doing and us Cindy film enthusiasts and filmmakers out there, oh my, need to stay tuned because you're really doing some wonderful things. And I want to thank KT. She just was so fantastic in facilitating all this. And I wanted to certainly thank her for uh, the effort and work that she put into you know, making this uh, conversation happen. So She's the best. Oh, my. Fantastic. Well, wow. Let's dive right in here because we certainly got a, a lot of goodies to share and a lot to discuss. I'd like to start our discussion by sort of rewinding a bit here. Would you mind sharing where you were born and raised and how you got started in the entertainment industry? Sure. I was born in Stockton, California. Cool. I was raised between Sacramento and San Francisco. And then uh, when I was a teenager in New York. And how did I get started in the entertainment industry? I was tricked. <laughs> I mean, so I, I came at it from music. Mm. I wanted to be a jazz singer. And after college, I fled the Bush administration to Barcelona mm. and studied at a jazz conservatory there called the Taller de Musics. Mm. And, and then I lost my voice. What? Yeah, I lost my voice. And I started doing a lot of other jobs and kind of taking the restaurant business really seriously. I was cooking Yeah, and came back to the States and worked in restaurants for a while, ran some restaurants in Northern California, and then moved to New York to help my dad, who was getting his business off the ground. Because at that point, I had like a lot of like small business enterprise experience. Mm, yeah. And I wanted to get back into singing. So I started taking these singing classes in New York and I was waiting tables to supplement my income for like really boring personal reasons. Mm -hmm. And of course I was working at a restaurant in New York. So I was surrounded by actors Oh, cool. and, and one of them heard about this particular singing class I was taking. It was sort of trying to mix singing with method acting. And she was like, "Ugh, I don't like the sound of that. You've got to come study under this teacher. <laughs> and so I, I started studying uh, with this teacher, Tony Greco in New York and just started auditioning. Cause I was like, well, that's what everyone's doing. So I guess I'll do that. Mm, yeah. And I, I started, I booked some work, some theater work and I fell in love with the theater. I had always been in love with it as a consumer, but as a player, even more so. Nice. And then with people I met, in theater, I, I started producing theater because I don't like to be told no, right? Yeah. So I was like, well, <laughs> we just have all these great people. Let's just make great work. Started a theater company, as many actors are wont to do. 
and first produced a new rewrite of Jose Rivera's references to Salvador Dali make me hot. Mm-hmm. And that was my first foray into producing. And I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Like restaurants and arts and all of this is sort of like the thing. Right. And it was after producing a few shows that a friend of mine would say to me, we should make a movie. It's so easy. <laughs> and to her credit, she did not know that she was lying to me at the time. <laughs> but that was the lie that would push me into the motion picture business. Wow. I was like, I was never a person that was like, oh, I'm going to be in the pictures. Yeah. I, it wasn't, it was never on my radar. Interesting. Um, so <laughs> I find it sometimes incredibly perplexing that I am where I am today. Yeah. It's kind of fascinating how the universe works like that, right? <laughs> it's bizarre Indeed. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Interesting to say the least. Now, gosh, it's it's cool because you've I think it's interesting about you is you have the business mind, but you also have that creative mind too. I mean, obviously your experience, you've you've done some cool stuff, you know. I mean, you really have. And I guess we'll dive right in here because uh, we've got so much to discuss that I think it's probably best to do that. But Seed and Spark, where did the idea and inspiration behind this wonderful company come from? You know, fast forward several years, I imagine. And how in the world did you come up with this and why? Because I think it's so critical. It's such a good tool for most filmmakers and film enthusiasts to utilize. Well, thank you. Okay, you have to buckle up a little bit because it's not a short answer. That's fine. Yeah. I'll try to do this as quickly as I can. No, please. I was uh, producing a site-specific run of a an old feminist Nordic play called Hedda Gabler in this mansion in Lower Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And I was working with this group of women on this play. And I mean, I have to be honest, like I have always been a like a person who obviously believes in equality. But the the sort of the concept of feminism as something that I would identify with yeah. wasn't really in my consciousness in the same way. And I, I sort of this summer was sort of my awakening because I was working with these incredible women and found myself so inspired by them yeah. and realized that my experience was like rare in my life, that I had found this group of women who are like friends and collaborators, and they all had really different, interesting skill sets. And my friend Caitlin Fitzgerald, who had been in some bigger movies by that time, was shooting a movie with Ed Burns called, oh my God, Newlyweds. Mm, And this was a film that he sort of famously shot for $9,000. And it was shooting sort of nights and weekends interspersed with when we were doing the run of the show. And she was going out to audition for all these medium and big indie movies. And Caitlin, I mean, anybody can look up on her IMDb or if you've been watching Rectify or or Masters of Sex, you Mm -hmm. know, she's like a statuesque blonde and her looks are the least interesting thing about her. She's hilariously funny. She's incredibly well-read. And the parts that she was being asked to read for were so insulting. (laughs) And it was, it was like the first time, and this is 2010, right? So Mm -hmm. right now, the the diversity in media, especially sort of women's representation in media, has really hit the zeitgeist over the last kind of two or three two years. Or three years yeah. But in 2010, this was just not being discussed. Right. And so I had this like, oh my goodness. I looked at all these movies and I was like, hold on. If you're not a 30-something 
whose only solution to her problems is a man Mm -hmm. or a mouthy 17 year old with a sort of impressive vocabulary and world weariness. (laughs) There just aren't places for you. And I certainly didn't see the friendships that I was experiencing being represented. Mm. And this was really why I was susceptible to the lie. Yeah. Because Caitlin was making this movie with Ed Burns, who'd been making movies with the same guys for like a decade and grabbed a 5D camera and a sound guy and started shooting this movie all over Manhattan because he's Ed Burns and can do whatever he wants. Right. And she's like, just come, come to set one day, see what we're doing. So I show up and I knock on this apartment door, this like, you know, grand loft in Tribeca. And this guy opens the door and he's like, Hey, I'm Eddie. And I'm like, hi, Ed Burns. (laughs) I'm not a person yet. (laughs) And he's very tall and, you know, very relaxed. Yeah. Anyway, so I come in and I watch them shoot uh, two people, all practical lighting, uh, 5D handheld and a sound guy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I've produced theatrical runs. Like I could do this. Yeah. And that's how Caitlin convinced me to produce a feature film. Cause I was like, oh, well that looks easy enough. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what got started. And the film that we would eventually make together called like the water, which was with this entire group of women from, from this theater show. And then many more we would add along the way. Yeah was the genesis of it. So when I went out to start raising money for this project that had, you know, one not yet star and a bunch of unknowns for a first time feature, I discovered how difficult it is to raise money for movies, particularly ones that don't look like stuff that's been made before. We wanted to write something about the female friendships we hadn't seen on screen. And so we managed to raise some money from, let's affectionately call them friends, family, and fools. (laughs) Um, And we try not to tell them I said that. We were short of the budget because, of course, the thing that Ed Burns was doing for $9,000 was like a run-and-gun mockumentary-style love story on the streets of New York City. Mm -hmm. What Caitlin and my friend Caroline co-wrote was a contemplative drama set in Maine in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. Real different scope of movie. Absolutely. And Eve Eve Cohen, who would come on to DP, would very quickly demonstrate to us that the 5D was absolutely the wrong camera to shoot this on. (laughs) And so immediately it was not as cheap a movie as I thought it was going to be, and I had to raise more money. Oh, so. So we, we raised some money, but you know, like indie films are, we had sort of one window where we could get everyone together and get up to Maine for the summer. And there was like a ticking time clock and I started losing sleep because I thought, you know, we're not going to raise the money in time. And then Caitlin Mm -hmm. started getting offers from these big time directors. And now I was like competing with like, you know, Whit Stillman for an actor. What the hell is happening? I don't actually remember if it was Whit Stillman or something (laughs) like that. Or maybe Noah Baumbach. I can't remember. Mm, Anyway, I was just like, ah, darn it. And so uh, Kickstarter and Indiegogo had been around just for a little while at that point. And I was really intrigued by the model. But if I asked around, you know, filmmakers would say they'd heard of it, but they were all broke. And like my parents and their friends had never heard of it and just didn't really understand what it was. Mm, So I was really inspired. My cousin, Charles Best, is like one of those really remarkable singular people in the universe who started an organization called Donors Choose that connects 
teachers who need supplies for their classrooms right. uh, for specific projects to donors who want to fund exactly those items. Mm, and so yeah. the teachers will present like a list of items. Mm-hmm. I want to take my kids to the museum. They need pens and paper and you can buy those pens and paper and send them. And I thought, well, that model, which is like a wedding registry. Yeah. is perfect for what we're doing because I don't want to ask people for a pile of money. I want to let them know what the hell it's going to take to make this movie. Mm, Yeah, I didn't feel right about, you know, asking for a pile of money to, to piss off to Maine for the summer. You know, that sounded like (laughs) fund my vacation. That's not what was happening. Right. So we built a list in a little WordPress website of, you know, all the things that we needed to make the movie, the camera and the car rentals and the bug spray and the sunscreen and the craft services and the coffee and lobsters because we were making a movie in Maine, (laughs) you know, gas tape, lighting, all of it. And we sent this list to everyone we knew. And an amazing thing happened. What we needed was 20,000 in cash. Mm -hmm. And we managed to raise 23,000 in cash and literally hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans and gifts of locations and goods and services. And on the back of the success of that, another couple of investors would come in after that, that would help us get through production and post. My God. Because we, you know, 400 some odd people contributed to this campaign in one way or another. They volunteered time. One guy dropped off a box of 22 lobsters to set one day and said, <laughs> you know, you ladies have fun. <laughs> you know, it was, awesome. just a, it was like a remarkable rallying of a community. Friends of ours who had just shot like a $650,000 movie were like, we got the tables and the tents and everything you need for crafty. Just come pick it up. Wow. Wow. But we had a local car dealership local to where we were shooting, mm, yeah. loan us the two picture cars for six weeks for no money. Nice. We had a local coffee shop donate 60 pounds of coffee. What? My yeah. goodness. Yeah. We drank it all. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, it was just like it, it helped us create the environment on set that we were trying to create in the film, which was really a movie about coming home Mm, and coming home to your friends and coming home to your town and and those things. Anyway, Mm. so at that point, I was not like, I got a business idea. I was like, I'm making a movie. (laughs) And I was learning on the fly and we got in, we got through post and a year to the day from when we finished shooting, we premiered the film back in Maine at the Maine International Film Festival in Waterville. Mm, God, God, I hope that I got that right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a packed house. And uh, this woman who runs a a feminist organization who also happened to be the mayor of the town stood up and said, thank you, ladies. I've been waiting my whole life to see a movie like this. Not, by the way, because this was the best, you know, movie, but merely that we were clearly attempting something differently. So as a first feature film, like we felt really successful in what we were trying to accomplish. Right. Cut to a couple months later. It's now November. Mm-hmm. I am at the American Film Market right. at the Lowe's Santa Monica, one of yeah. the most spiritually bankrupt places on the planet, yeah. I would soon discover. <laughs> Indeed. And so I had, we had taken the film to many festivals at this point mm. and had incredibly positive, really engaging audience response from women and men, because it was also a film about grief. Like there were very universal themes. Yeah. Uh, I had a sales agent look me in the face and say to me, well, if you could put some lesbian erotica in it, I could. What? My God. And I was like, hmm, this was a moment that I thought. Um, Unbelievable. I don't want to deal with these people. Yeah. I don't want to be in this place. It feels awful. 
nobody gets what we're trying to do. And I know that it's valuable to some group of audience out there because I've spoken to them. And as I started to talk to distributors and and other financiers about what we had done with this movie, they would get very intrigued by the way that we had raised money. Mm, right. And people started saying things to me like, well, would you consider, you know, making something like that for, for other filmmakers? Mm. And I was like, yeah, sure. Cool. Because the thing that I thought it did for us by using that wish list was we really gathered a crowd around us who knew exactly what they had contributed. Uh, yeah. It wasn't just 20 bucks. It was the makeup on that actress's face. Yeah. You know, yeah, there was it a was connection the, to yeah, it. It was the coffee we drank. It was yeah. the location. It was, it was something very personal and that made people. So when we, you know, when we showed the film in theaters along the East coast, um, we would do these, you know, one-off screenings and they'd be packed. I mean, yeah. standing room only in yeah. big theaters, you know? Right. Right. And so, I started to do some more research into like, what are the real economics for independent filmmakers? Mm -hmm. And I was needless to say appalled because after having produced my first feature, I was like, well, this is what I want to do with my life. Yeah. And then I found out what the economics are. And I was like, Mm. how can anybody do this with their life? (laughs) Right. (laughs) This is, this is a career that's called a lottery ticket. Yep. And Over the last several years, and I know we'll get into this later, what I realized is the reason that you don't see that many marginalized voices on screen is because the economics are so terrible. And when the economics are terrible, the people who can continue to make movies are the ones that already have privilege. And so we've built this incredible privilege perpetuation mechanism in a filmmaking world that makes it basically impossible for creators to make their money back. And so what I got really interested in is a model that empowered creators to build their careers, to never have to ask permission, to engage directly with their audiences, to get leverage if they ever wanted to go to a distributor or a sales agent like I did, but also to get real transparent, meaningful data that they could use to make the decisions for themselves about what they wanted to do next with their careers. Uh, And so that's, I mean, that's, that's that's the really long story of how it started. That's fantastic. Now, why Seed and Spark? I mean, that's a question that filmmakers have when they're evaluating crowdfunding platforms. And yeah. I know you've you have a seventy five percent success rate, which I think is just remarkable. And you know, one of the things that I wanted to kind of get out here is you know, how important is success rate for you as the creator? of the company? Because I imagine that's something that, you know, you're constantly evaluating. Sure. I mean, look, I want everyone to be successful at crowdfunding, no matter where they go, because crowdfunding depends on the trust and reputation that we have with our audiences. Right. So anyone that does a crappy crowdfunder actually kind of spoils crowdfunding for all of us. So I want everyone on every platform all the time to be doing crowdfunding the best it can be done. That's in my interest as the creator of the company, but also as somebody who really believes in crowdfunding as an important part of our toolkit as creators. Mm-hmm. Um, we launched an education program uh, originally called Crowdfunding to Build Independence. Right. It's an online course, we, right? It's an online course, yeah. but we also teach it about 80 times a year right. in about 30 cities. Right. There's now five or six teachers. Yeah. Over a hundred film festivals, schools, organizations around the country. I recall yeah. Marina. I've all seen it pop up all over the place. Yeah, it's uh it's fantastic. Well, it's also how we meet creators in cities where we don't necessarily have a footprint as we have to go there. Yeah. But the course is really about 
how to understand your audience, how to learn from your audience, how to speak to your audience, and how to build a relationship with them that will sustain you throughout your career. Because the only thing that actually makes you independent is if you own the connection to your audience. And that means coming to work in a different way than if you're going to be asking permission from someone who owns the audience. I love that. Those are very different ways of coming to work. And the cool thing is you can start building your audience absolutely for free. You can really build them over time, engage them. You can fund your projects with your audience. You can distribute to your audience. You build that traction over time. And then it's not about asking permission from somebody, but it's like going to you know, that distribute your dream distributor and saying, Hey, I got 10,000 people on my mailing list who I have grown organically over time. What are you going to give me to distribute my film? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And that's, what's really interesting to me about this is that anybody can use this as a tool to build their career over time, because we all have access to social media. We all have access to email accounts. Right. And, but the democratization of that access does not mean that everybody should just be able to build an audience. It takes a very specific kind of work. And that's really what our course teaches. Love that. Yeah. Is how to come to work in this new landscape to build the direct connection to your audience, to leverage crowdfunding to grow not just one film, but the connection that will help you grow your career. So the success rate to us is simply a measure of how good a job are we doing at educating filmmakers about how to leverage this tool. How good is the tool? How easy is it to use? And how effective is it? So yeah, I mean, the success rate is obviously important to us. We also have the highest average project size by more than two and a half times, a much higher audience per project gathered. We offer a filmmaker gift box. So um, Mm -hmm. filmmakers who crowdfund and gather at least 500 followers. So those aren't aren't even people who need to fund you. They just sign up to follow your campaign and get your updates, Mm -hmm. get a gift box, of production goods and services worth over $8,000. We're talking like, you know, $1,000 towards creative solutions. That's yeah, that's, that's small HD and Teradek and yeah. uh, Parallax and a, a bunch of other uh, brands. It's Fantastic. Legal consulting and marketing consulting. Yeah. There, there are a lot of things in there that are really valuable. Rental discount from all over the place. Anyway, uh, oh, long story short. It's killing me here. You make, you get we, me all fired up. <laughs> well, we what we want to build is the yeah. best career building tool we can offer filmmakers. And the last thing that we just launched are these totally transparent data dashboards that mm. really give filmmakers a chance to assess how they're doing along the way, where their traffic sources are coming from. So which marketing channels like are, is Facebook working for you? Is Twitter working for you? What, what's going the best for you? Right. Where your audience lives by and large, what platforms and devices they like to watch on. And these are really important things for filmmakers to know, because if you're going to make the most economically efficient project, and I should argue that that should be as important to you as an artistically <laughs> successful project. Right. right. Got to know that you target need to audience. Know things yeah. like how does your audience want to consume this? And right. if the answer is not the theater, if the answer is I'm probably going to watch it on my television or computer You don't need to shoot that thing in 6K raw much as your cinematographer (laughs) might like to and spend thousands of dollars on storage. (laughs) You can save yourself a lot of money by really understanding how your audience is going to consume your work. It also makes your marketing dollars a lot more efficient, right? Because you know Mm -hmm. what cities you need to reach out to, what platforms you might want to distribute on, so on and so forth. Such great advice there and such great points. I also want to point out that the Seed and Spark handbook also offers tips and guidance on how to run 
a successful campaign, something that you also uh, offer to as well. Would you mind sharing some of the best practices a filmmaker can do to establish a direct connection, you know, that direct connection that you mentioned with their audience? And perhaps you could discuss the importance of altruism and uh, the importance of not being desperate as well. Sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's, that was a lot of, I mean, I know, you know I threw I, a lot I, at you there. I basically teach this in two hours. So uh, to, to boil it down to a few key points is, is always difficult. And it right. is online. Yeah. The, the video's online uh, on our website also. But See, folks, <clears> you got to catch one of these lessons live. <laughs> so the, the number one thing actually to get started is to just do a little bit of research, yeah. right? And I, so I like to say it's research and experiments, right? It's like being an art scientist in a way, mm -hmm. which is to say, like who's watching the stuff that you like, right? right? Who's engaging with the things that you're engaging with? Where are they? And I like to start really simple. So I'll start by talking sort of very generally about a project that I'm working on, maybe in a group that I'm in. And somebody will say like, oh, that sounds really interesting to me. Now that person has identified themselves as a potential audience member. Yeah. I'm going to find out from that person where they hang out online what kind of news sources they're interested in, what platforms and devices they watch on, what kind of music they listen to, what, you know, what influencers are they following or who do they follow on Twitter or what, what Instagram accounts interest them. And all of that is research that we do in the course of writing a script or putting together a documentary or, or, right. or making a movie anyway, yeah. is we need to be conversant in the universe we're trying to create. And I find that bringing the audience in really early, even if it just starts with one or two people at a time, really expands the universe out of just my own head and gets the creative juices flowing, I think, in a really, a really useful way. So it's starting with just that very basic, like, who is the audience for this? Yeah. Because they're not a demographic. Like, if you find yourself answering who is the audience with, you know, women between the ages of 24 and 35, I'm going to send you right back on your way because... <laughs> Yeah. There, it, we are not united by demographics. We're united by interests. That's what the internet has done to us. Right, right. So it's really important to find out what are people interested in who are interested in your work? Where are they gathering? Who are they following? Who are they listening to? Because that will help you learn how to engage in the universe of ideas that you're trying to create, how to become sort of an, an influential person in that universe of ideas. And really how to find out like what's exciting to people about the ideas that you're talking about. Because ultimately, right. like if you are making moving pictures, at some point you have to admit you're doing it so people watch it. Right. 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 And if you are doing this so people watch it, then you also have to admit that 50% of what happens when somebody sits down to watch your movie happens inside their imagination. Mm, right. And the earlier you start to engage their imaginations, the better you are going to be able to make your movie to engage their imaginations. Because we all know those films that are like incredibly didactic at every moment, and yeah. sort of like explaining to you along the way and not letting you use your imagination at all. We hate those movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. The, the movies that really get us are the ones that we're thinking about for weeks afterwards, because like now I'm imagining an entire world that I never knew existed. And it's all happening in my head. Oh, right? so true. The, the filmmaker turns me into a filmmaker in a certain way. Right, right. So I think the earlier you bring your audience in, actually the much more powerful kind of creative, I like to say you're like, you're pulling from a larger empathic space than just your own. Mm, yeah. Yeah. My goodness. Ooh, that is 
some really great advice. Would you mind speaking about the importance of having a good pitch video? I know that's oh a component of this whole process, but I did want to pick your brain a bit about the importance of that video. Yeah. I don't know what happens to filmmakers, even good ones, when they're making a video to pitch an audience. They turn into these sort of like talking heads on a camera that are really awkward. Yeah. And they're like, I'm going to make a really scary movie about this stuff and I we don't have any money so I hope you can help us right, <laughs> like, right. what <laughs> there are sort of you know there are three really important components to a pitch video number one especially the first 15 to 20 seconds needs to be for the audience of your movie not your aunt Bertha <laughs> you talking to a camera that's for aunt Bertha right. your audience <laughs> wants to see some filmmaking yeah. And any good filmmaker now knows what you're able to do on a cell phone that is cinematic, interesting, can be edited. You can get great sound on a cell phone now. I yeah. just I just got a great good mic. Uh, huh? Yeah, love and I use Apogee and oh, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah, nice. it's rad. So there's no there's sort of no excuse for not making a great pitch video. And certainly if you're going to make a very short movie and great pitch videos are like 90 seconds to two and a half minutes. Right. If you're going to make a very short movie that is asking people to give you money to make a longer movie. That short movie should reflect <laughs> the quality <laughs> of the thing that you are promising. It doesn't mean, obviously, it needs the production value. It just means that like, it needs to demonstrate that you're a capable filmmaker. Right, right. And people just totally forget. They're like, oh, yeah. just sit in front of this camera and talk. Yeah. It's like, well, now I don't know anything about your ability to make movies except your ability to tell me about your ability to make movies. Right. Like the show, not tell thing that we're always told somehow flies right out the window. Right, right. So number one is that first 15 seconds. Number two is a good pitch video answers four questions. Why me? So why this team, right? Why this project? Why now? And why you, the audience? Why do, you, why do we need you to get involved? Right. Why me? Why this? Why now? Why you? And the third thing is that if you've been doing that audience research that I was talking about before, you'll have a sense of what excites and inspires your audience. Images, music, uh, influencers, or styles that they're interested in. And those are elements that you can use to, to build out the pitch video. Even if they're not elements that necessarily are going to end up in the finished version of the film, they're going to start to engage your audience in the language that they're interested in speaking. All right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Very good stuff. Very, very good stuff. Now, how important is it to create and use a hashtag for your cast and crew during production? Because I know that's something that you mentioned has significant importance and you recommend that filmmakers begin this process early. It sort of goes back to something you said earlier in the discussion about reaching to your audience and connecting with them early on in the campaign. Yeah, I mean, so let's assume that your audience hangs out on Twitter and Instagram, right? Right. Filmmakers are often like, well, what am I supposed to have a new Twitter handle for every movie I make or a new Instagram for every movie I make? And I say, no, I think you want to acquire the followers to you, the filmmaker, and each individual film, it makes more sense to me to have as a hashtag. And this is at a certain scale, right? So if you're A24, right, and you're putting out Moonlight, Moonlight should have its own handle right, right, for right. people to follow. That's different. <laughs> yeah. 
But when you're making your shorts and you're building your audience, you're making a really small feature film and you're you're building your audience along the way. I like the use of hashtags because everybody involved in the project can participate. You can create threads and storifies and really organize the conversation, but you can also collect all of the, the images and conversation that's happening around the film, which can be very useful, again, in when you're talking to distributors, for example, showing how much conversation has happened around the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and the mm-hmm. earlier you start that, the better, for sure. I just don't recommend that filmmakers, particularly early on, are trying to start new Twitter accounts for every single uh, new undertaking. Ah, yeah, yeah. That's always um, interesting when folks do that. Uh, You're just never going to manage, yeah. you know, 10 Twitter accounts. I can barely manage one. Right. Now. Right. It's also a lot to Most, look at. It's like almost information overkill. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's nice to have one source. You know, what happens if the campaign or someone's campaign is unsuccessful? Say a campaign doesn't reach their 80% goal or more. What actually happens with your particular service? And I wanted to point out. We'll take the campaign down after 30 days. I don't think it helps anyone to have like a Googleable failed campaign. Yeah. So usually what we do is we'll just take the campaign down after 30 days. And we usually reach out to the filmmakers to help them regroup. Again, it doesn't happen that often. And we spend a lot of time circling up with filmmakers if we see their campaigns are struggling to give them tips on how to revive their campaign along the way. Great. Um, That's one thing I wanted to have you present to our audience too it's not like you're just left stranded there uh if you uh, pursue a campaign using your service you you really do work with the filmmakers to be successful yes so every campaign gets personalized feedback from one of our crowdfunding specialists on the team and then along the way we send you know reminders and help um, we always have our videos available online, which we encourage everyone to watch, but also most importantly, review along the way. And this sounds kind of silly, but I ran a crowdfunding campaign recently with a bunch of women who are co-creators of a web series, excuse my language, called Fuck Yes. Yeah, which um, is great. That is a fucking good title. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> it's, which is, you know, they're, they're sexy scenes of sexual consent. Right. And we did a crowdfunding campaign very nervous, obviously, to run a crowdfunding campaign as a bunch of crowdfunding experts. Right. <laughs> because Erica Anderson, who's the head of crowdfunding, is also on the team. Like half the team are Season Spark employees. It was really important for us that it went well. And we just followed our own advice <laughs> <laughs> to the letter. And we were very happy to actually hit our stretch goal. And one thing I will say is that Jerry Maravilla, who's the director of crowdfunding at Season Spark, we sent him our pitch video. Even though, you know, we're supposed to ostensibly also be, be experts, it's always good to get a critical eye. And he sent us, like, he was like, wow, this is kind of a conflict because, you know, you're my boss, but also, you know, this is my job and I have to do it well. That's awesome. And he sent us, he sort of eviscerated our pitch video in the nicest possible way because he's the nicest human on the planet. <laughs> and we totally recut it to fit what he said. And it was a thousand percent better wow so we even took advantage of our own resources of having somebody give us feedback on the pitch video and i know that that was also a key to our success and the cool thing was the stuff that we cut out of the video based on his feedback we used to make an update video we just like reframed it and used to make an update video for the following week so Uh it just yeah so we were very glad to sort of put our own uh advice into practice you know and it's it's also good to sort of i mean 
the last time I had crowdfunded was for Seed and Spark on Seed and Spark three or four years ago. Yeah. The platform has been completely rebuilt since then. You know, we wanted to make sure our advice was actually fresh. And Erica and I came away feeling actually rather self-satisfied being like, yeah, that's, it's really good advice that we give people. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of the fruits of your own labor there. You get to benefit from that. It's kind of interesting. It's, it's cool when you practice what you preach, I should say. That's, that's eat your own dog food. Exactly. I like, I like that expression. (laughs) It's good stuff. So, you know, the platform has really shifted over the years, right? Mm -hmm. Where initially we were crowdfunding with a built-in transactional VOD platform. Mm -hmm. And so as people engaged on the site, they would earn sparks that would allow them to watch movies by spending their sparks. Yeah. But over the last several months, we've switched and we've become something that is honestly new. It's a new model. It is a subscription platform where you subscribe to get unlimited access to stream all of the movies that are available on Seed and Spark. And half of your monthly fee goes to a new crowdfunding project of your choice. So every month, our subscribers get an email that says, hey, which one of these projects would you like your money to go to this month? And so as we add subscribers, we're growing what's called the Greenlight Seed Fund. For filmmakers who are crowdfunding on the site, there's several thousand dollars every month being allocated to projects just from our streaming audiences. That's fantastic. Wow. That is fantastic. Now we are approaching our break here. You've been so kind, really just informing us on all these wonderful services that you offer. Now, in your opinion, why do some filmmakers fail at crowdfunding? Because, and I think many do that try to do it on their own and don't have these vehicles behind them. But what are some of the things that you've noticed that, uh, you know, that occur when people do fail? Sure. Lack of preparation is first and foremost. There's a lot of bad information out there that makes you feel like you just launch a campaign and money will come. And that's just not how it works. So lack of preparation is number one. Crowdfunding is like a shooting schedule. You have pre-production, you have production, you have post-production. That's really important to understand because you can't do that while you are in actual pre-production, production, and post-production. It's a whole other phase of your filmmaking that you have to take into consideration. And the reason that you would do that is because you're doing a lot of marketing in advance of making the movie, which is going to really help you in the long run. So lack of preparation is number one. Lack of team is number two. Mm, People try to go it alone. Mm -hmm. Or they believe people when those people say like, yeah, yeah, I'll help out. Right. Mm-hmm. No, you need a team. Look, when we crowdfunded for Fuck Yes, we had a team of nine women working on that. Yeah. Some yeah. people were editing. Some people were posting updates. Some people were running social media. You know, like it was no joke. All nine of us. Now, granted, all nine of us also have full-time jobs. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's what it takes. It took, you know, the extra time of nine people to run a really successful campaign. So uh, yeah. that that's all hands on deck. Really, yeah, it's all hands on deck. It's super important to consider. So lack of team is number two. And number three is is bad messaging, right? Mm. So reasons people want to get involved in a crowdfunding campaign. The project looks really cool. The filmmakers are super compelling. The incentives are really great. The pitch video is hilarious and exciting. Reasons people don't get involved in a crowdfunding campaign. The filmmaker is broke. The filmmaker is desperate. Uh. The world is unfair. You know, like people get involved in crowdfunding because it's really cool opportunity to to participate in making things that won't other otherwise get seen. So things that we don't see do really well in crowdfunding are stuff that Hollywood makes, like 
you're like just a, another rom-com right you know right. you you need an angle and yeah. i'm i'm sorry but today in this day and age when you are competing with people who now feel like they have to vote for their vote with their dollars for the culture that they feel like is slipping away yeah you're competing with planned parenthood right. and the aclu and right. the southern poverty law center mm-hmm. who also need that 10 dollars really badly right now right and why does that matter well because it means the films that you are offering for people to get involved with should feel as vital. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think this is a time for all artists to have a massive reckoning about what are we making and why and who does it matter to. Oh my. If we can't answer those questions, find the next project. Because like, at least for me and, you know, on Seed and Spark, we have a very particular take on this. I talked about that privilege perpetuation mechanism earlier. For us, we want to build the digital studio that can put all that aside. And so for us, we're very focused on inclusion and representation. Every single project that comes to Seed and Spark has to make a public facing statement about how it is increasing inclusion in front of or behind the camera. And we look at inclusion very broadly. Yeah. You know, race, gender, class, ability, Mm, age, weight. Come on, like teach us things that we political... uh, leanings, but we are really interested in stuff that actually increases representation and inclusion. And so if you're going to make another movie about like three white guys on a road trip, Mm -hmm. who's behind the camera that is making this project more inclusive, Mm. you know, or uh, we just really want everyone to be thinking about this in who they hire in front of and behind the camera, because you know what? the way that we actually increase representation is by doing it. Oh, that's so true. By the way, I love that you're doing that. Uh, it's, it's nice because I know Maria Geis, when she was on the show, she mentioned potentially making the distributors more accountable for inclusivity and in the work that they accept and distribute. And it's interesting that you have um, adopted the similar thought process in your practice. I think it's fantastic uh, we, to say we, the least. We email sometimes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> My goodness. Oh, that's awesome. That's <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Oh, she's amazing, right? Yeah. Incredible. Oh my. Fantastic. Wow. Small world. Oh, that's amazing. Well, Emily, I think this is a great place to take a short break and give you a chance to reset because you've been so wonderful here. And uh, we'll also give our listeners a chance to reset as well, because I do want to come back because I've got a lot more goodies to discuss with you when we return from our break and particularly about some of the initiatives that you're doing currently that are fantastic. How does it sound to you? Sounds great. Great, folks. We're going to take a short break here and then we'll be back with more of Emily Best after this break. Do not go anywhere, folks. We will be right back. And welcome back to the Cinema After Dark podcast. We are continuing a wonderful discussion here with Miss Emily Best, the CEO of Seed and Spark. And gosh, what a great discussion this has been. For this half of the discussion, I would like to discuss 
the hashtag 100 Days of Diversity. It's a very interesting initiative that you have launched. I believe it launched on January 20th. Yep. And would you mind speaking about this initiative and what your goal is? Because I think it's awesome. Oh, thanks. Sure. So, you know, we have obviously built inclusion and representation into the fabric of our platform, but we are fucking tired of the numbers coming out year after year saying, hey, guess what? Women made no gains. People right. of color made no gains as far as the industry is concerned. And, you know, we're a small company in it, or we're a small fish in a ginormous ocean. And if we keep behaving like we can't make the waves, then I, I feel like nobody's ever going to make the waves. So we, right. um, we reached out to, I mean, I think it's over 40 partners now, everybody from the Tribeca Film Institute, the Blacklist. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, My God. Know, great film festivals like the True False Film Festival, Sidewalk Film Festival, Austin Film Festival. Also, you know, Teradek, G Technology, yeah. Camera House, Felix, you know, just tons and tons of partners, all of whom said, yes, we're in we care about this also avid, you know, like, do you think that editing software cares about diversity? The answer is they do. Right. And so we, we decided to just, you know, use the relationships that we had built to try to find a tipping point yeah. and to just really get together and say, as I said before, the way that you create greater representation in the industry is to do it. Right. And if we can't make waves as one organization, then damn it, we'll try to make waves as 40 organizations. I love that. Is awesome. And 100 days is a really long time to run a campaign, but our hope is, and that's not a crowdfunding campaign, but run any kind of campaign. Yeah. <laughs> Just ask the presidential candidates. <laughs> Seems like 100 years that campaign. Oh, 100 God. But we're hoping that, you know, it's 100 days and then every day after that. Nice. Because I think this work is never done. Yeah. And I just, I can't continue to work in an industry that, spends as much time navel gazing about diversity numbers and makes no gains. Yeah. Year year. Crazy. I, Absurd. It is. It is. I saw something in PGA recently about that too, and how low the numbers are still for females, uh, particularly in television. And it's just, uh, the numbers just are staggering. It's amazing that there can't be improvements made despite some of the effort that's been put out there, but yeah. It's and it's still, it's, it's not because they don't exist. I mean, you can go to the director list yeah. right now and there's well over a thousand eminently qualified directors waiting to get hired. Right. You know, you can go to the blacklist and there are thousands of eminently qualified writers with their scripts right there for you to read. Yeah. By the way, like, you know, more than one best screenplay has been Oscar nominated from the blacklist for the last, I don't even know yeah, how many years now, since it's since right. its inception, I think, yeah. you know, like the internet does have the power to democratize the audience attention for the filmmakers who want to work in this new way, right? right? It isn't like Hollywood doesn't come to you because the internet, right? <laughs> you, you build an independent career with the internet and then you decide if you want Hollywood or not. Right. Because I'm perfectly happy for people to say that their end goal is, you know, fame and fortune. There's just a lot of different ways to get there. Yeah. And one is to wait around and try to get chosen. And the fact is, if you're a woman or a person of color or you're differently abled or you're, you know, you're long in the tooth, 
It just isn't there for you. Right. <laughs> the statistics show right. that yep. over and over again. And we, even this year, we have had a banner year for film in the performance of fences and yeah. hidden figures and, and moonlight, yeah, my moonlight, God. Geez. And and yet it's being treated as a fluke. Right. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it isn't considering that most of Hollywood works on mathematical regression models that are based on, you know, yep. old data. Yep. You know, yep. so, yep. so, you know, it maybe will make a difference in five years, but I just don't want to wait that long. I want to capitalize on the momentum now. Oh, so 100 Days fantastic. of Diversity is our effort to get more inclusive work made and watched in the next hundred days. And the way that we're doing that is we're encouraging filmmakers to crowdfund those projects that, th that they've been sitting on that would get their voices out there. Right. Our partners are providing tens of thousands of dollars in additional perks for filmmakers crowdfunding during this time. They're also providing perks for audiences who are subscribing. So if you want to stream films with us, you can certainly submit to do that as well. Wow. But that's really the point is just to get more inclusive work made and watched. There are, you know, approximately 63 million people out there who feel like they want to do something. Absolutely. With their time and money that expresses their values. Absolutely. Right. And this is one way to do that. We spend a lot of time thinking about like where we buy our coffee and where we buy our food and uh, that sort of conscious consumption has never made it into entertainment. That's an excellent point. Mm -hmm. Right. And the cool thing is like, you know, conscious consumption of coffee is expensive. Yeah. <laughs> conscious consumption <laughs> of food is expensive. It conscious is. consumption of entertainment doesn't have to be. Right. Mm. Because you can build models that directly benefit the filmmakers, which is really what we're, we're trying to do. Yeah. yeah. And so, so for us, hundred days of diversity is our attempt to get conscious consumption and entertainment off the ground. I love that. Runs from January 20th to April 29th. Something like that. Yeah. Whatever yeah. 100 days later is. Maybe yeah. it's the 14th. Maybe it's 14th. Is it the 29th? God, that's yeah, a long 29th. time. Yeah. It's awesome, though. Wow. It's long, but it doesn't seem long enough because I think the the merit of the initiative and the importance of it is just so necessary. So I feel this is going to be an interesting ongoing thing. How do people really get involved? Well, you can go to seedandspark.com uh, forward slash 100 days. If you're a filmmaker, you can certainly uh, launch a crowdfunding campaign or submit to stream a film. Audiences can subscribe and start getting involved immediately in helping fund projects and also watch really wonderful streaming films. And we have new slates going up every two weeks. It's sort of broken out into, into different slates. So the first one is Democracy in Action. These mm, are right. uh, features and docs that show you know, different sides of the, the democratic process. That sounds really boring, but actually there's no, some great comedies in there. There's wonderful yeah. uh, documentaries, obviously. And then starting February 2nd will be Black History Present and Future. Mm, yeah. We will also be having bi-weekly Twitter chats with filmmakers who are engaging in these in these topics and filmmakers can learn from each other. Audiences can come and ask questions of filmmakers and filmmakers will be blogging about their projects about things that really matter to them kind of inside these different themes that roll out every two weeks. Oh, that is fantastic. You know that that is absolutely fantastic folks. My God, get involved folks. Hashtag 100 days of diversity. My goodness. That is really, really fantastic. I'd love to sort of discuss distribution a bit. You talked about it a bit in our first segment and I know Kind of just to refresh people, you offer a streaming video distribution platform. You're really also sort of 
that <laughs> too as well. It just doesn't stop with the crowdfunding campaign. Uh, you have a pretty spectacular distribution pipeline, which you've already discussed. And you also offer a distribution handbook too, which I think is uh, very helpful uh, too. Yeah. I mean, the work never stops. Yeah. Maker. You know, you're going to, you're going to live with a project for usually five to seven years, which is why I think it should be really meaningful to you. Right. And there's new things to learn at every stage. Yeah. You know, I, I think sometimes we don't treat films like what they are, which is business ventures. Right. Mm-hmm. You're going to hire people. You're going to go into contracts. You're going to raise money. You're going to sell this business venture. It's a business and you just sort of start a new company every time. I think it's really important to take that very seriously. So we try to provide education for the entire life cycle of the film. You use data gathered from the filmmakers campaign to distribute the work to your partners, correct? It's kind of how you, yes. your model. You know, so so up until now we have been offering distribution to lots of other platforms like, you know, Amazon and Google Play, yeah. Hulu, Hulu, iTunes, iTunes. etc. in demand which goes yeah. to Cox and Time Warner and Comcast. And, right. and we will still offer that as an option for filmmakers, but we're not going to act as an aggregator anymore. We're really turning our attention and focusing on the streaming because oh, nice. yeah, it's the way to go. It's the future. You know, we're working with filmmakers who even with our small number of subscribers since we just launched are getting paid some of them 25 cents a minute for the stuff that's getting watched on Steven yeah. Spark. Amazon's new deal just offered filmmakers 30 cents yes. an hour. Yeah, that's brutal. <laughs> and no, we don't offer MGs, but we offer total data transparency and the ability to really understand and access your audience, which you will not get from other distributors. Right. Sometimes because they don't get that information and sometimes because it is part of their policy not to share it. Right, right. So you get the analytics. Yeah. How are you supposed to learn about yeah. what's going well? How are you supposed to make decisions about marketing your film if you don't have any information? Right. Yeah. And during 100 Days of Diversity, we're marketing each of these channels. So we're marketing slate and channels of movies and shows together and providing a lot of promotion inside our own networks. That's fantastic. Now, somebody already has a distributor and they want to stream you know, through Seedspark. How does that work? Can they do that? Depends on what the deal is with the distributor. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it totally depends. Yeah. Legally, if they're able to, though, you can. Uh, Absolutely. Right. Our only rule is the film can't be available for free elsewhere. Ah, right. Right. Very cool stuff. Now, Emily, I've got to do something here to you that. Oh, no. Oh yes, this is something, and I've and I do this to all of our guests, and it's just unfortunate that I have to. I mean, gosh, I really shouldn't do this to you. I mean, it's one of those things. You've been so wonderful, and and you're just doing some amazing things out there to help filmmakers, and it's just unfortunate that as a filmmaker, I have to do this to you. But I can't discriminate here. We are very inclusive with <laughs> this particular uh, situation here, and what I'm about to do to you is something that I need to preface by asking you if you are ready for it. No. You're not? Okay. Okay, good, good, good. I kind of thought that... I'm terrified. No, yeah, I, I kind of thought she wouldn't be because um, I was thinking, you know, would she be ready for this? Wouldn't she be ready for this? And I'm kind of glad that you, um, you said no. But I'm going to give you another opportunity to gain just a little bit of, a little bit of trust here, a little bit of confidence and me and i'm gonna ask you one more time if you're ready for it if if, if you can handle this okay go Are you sure no ah, i'm gonna do it anyways <laughs> emily this is the part of the show 
where I ask our guests to share a fun fact about themselves. Now, Emily, this fun fact that you share has to be something that people don't know about you. Okay, so it's got to be something that people don't know, even the closest people to you don't know about you. And even the closest people to yes, me? Yes, indeed. <laughs> and the floor is yours. The spotlight is on you. This is a hard question for somebody who's relatively an open book. Something <laughs> even the people closest to me, I'm married. Like, <laughs> there's nothing the people closest to me don't know about me. Oh, my. <laughs> uh, you remember you said you have to engage the audience. You know, it's important that the audience is drawn something, give you something to think about now after you're you depart from this podcast. <laughs> um, I guess. Oh my goodness! With the music and everything, and and such pressure to be interesting I and or that. funny. Um. <laughs> uh. I have to. Um. It could be oh an interest goodness. too. Something you like. We've had some. Well, I mean, this is something that a few people closest to me know, but. Like if I really have my druthers on like a, an evening or an afternoon yeah. and n nobody really knows, I just want to watch reruns of the original law and order. Good stuff. <laughs> what is um, it about it? Yeah. What, what, uh, oh, yeah. The, I mean, so Lenny awesome. Briscoe, first yeah. of all, Jerry Orbach as Lenny Briscoe oh, yeah. uh, is so incredible. I used to work in the theater in New York, so mm, occasionally yeah. somebody I know will just sort of pop up, and I'm like, oh my God, I haven't thought about that guy in a while. Um, but also, the dialogue in the courtroom scene yes, is they great? incredible, yeah. and Sam Waterston's eyebrows deserve an <laughs> Emmy. So. Sorry. So that. Oh, that is hilarious. Oh, man, that's funny. <laughs> You got me with that one. Oh, geez. Good stuff. That is a hell of a fun fact right there. Very nice. A little law and order. Were you a fan of um, Boston Legal? I, you know, I yeah. didn't. I, I was, I think I was out of the country while that show was on. Or I was in Ooh, college maybe. Yeah. So I just was sort of out of touch of it. No, I mean, like I, I want the old. You want the SD, old school. Yeah. <laughs> like law and order. They can't even, they can't even put it on your TV in the full <laughs> size anymore. Oh, I brutal. love that. I love that. Though. That's cool. Very, very cool stuff. Now, we are approaching the end of the show, and I do appreciate you, one, sharing that fun fact with us, but also staying for as long as you have here. And I've got to ask you, how would you like to see the company grow moving forward? And do you have a wish list that you'd be willing to share? Anything yeah, that I uh, mean, you'd like to see? Look, ultimately, we would love to be known as the company that started the conscious consumption movement and entertainment you know, that, yeah. that somehow they could trace it back to us. Even if we don't, startups are hard, right? And even if we don't succeed in the end, if we can have been a, a piece of that story that will have felt really successful to us. I mean, ultimately, we want thousands of filmmakers making a sustainable living. Right. That's what we want. Right. And that doesn't mean making millions. That means a sustainable living, you know, paying rent, buying groceries, right. you know, maybe raising a family. Yeah which at least at the beginning is not that expensive. <laughs> but hell, I mean, it's just an accomplishment getting a film done, getting it made, getting it funded, and then connecting with people. I think there's a lot to be said just about the entire process too and the experience of 
you know, taking an idea and creating something with it, creating something tangible with it that people can see and experience and enjoy. To me, that's that, you know, aside from, you know, whatever gains might be out there for having a successful film, I think the process is also a beautiful thing, too. So, you know, you provide a platform that allows individuals to uh, to be successful in that, you know, with those efforts. So. I, uh, well, thank you. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's, thank it's you. Truly awesome. We are going to continue busting our asses to make it work. Yeah. Um, and you know, we are all ourselves filmmakers, so it's we, right. we've got skin in the game, certainly through and through. Oh yeah, absolutely. Now, before we wrap, feel free to plug your website, Facebook account, Twitter, any social media accounts or sites that uh, folks should. Uh, Please do visit us at seedandspark.com. Also check out seedandspark.com forward slash 100 days for the 100 days of diversity initiative. You can immediately start engaging at hashtag 100 days of diversity on Twitter. We'll be having biweekly Twitter chats on the hashtag film curious, which we have been doing for four years. And then we're just seed and spark, S-E-E-D-A-N-D-S-P-A-R-K, all over the socials on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it. By the way, how did you come up with the name? I wish, gosh, I need a sexier answer to this question. (laughs) It was lists and lists and lists of brainstormed names Wow! that I was trying to, I was working with a friend who's actually good at this sort of thing. And I was like, no, it's really, it's about the organic nature of, of planting an idea, but the way that the human network, you know, kind of ignites it. And that's the, I won't even tell you the names that I came up with about that. <laughs> they were terrible. And my friend, uh, Eric Iverson, who helped me, come up with a name would be so pl- he'd be like hmm hmm okay i'm just going to come up with a few more names <laughs> um and they were they were two names that were separate and uh i put them together and you know sent it around to actually a bunch of the people who now work at Seedon Spark mm. so it was a it was a community effort like like everything is oh very cool yeah i thought it would maybe like spark a seed in someone's mind or i don't I know i mean yes just- and yeah. it, and if we want to pivot to become a marijuana company, we don't have to do anything at all to the name. That is fantastic. So, <laughs> That's even better. Plan. I love Always that. have one. <laughs> love that. Oh, my gosh. Now, is there any advice that you would like to share with someone that might be listening to this podcast that may want to do what you're doing right now? Maybe they don't have the energy. Maybe they don't have the resources. Maybe they just don't have the courage to move forward. Is there any advice you would give that individual? Well, courage is a very difficult thing to advise about. I find that when I feel afraid, I need my community more than ever. So Mm. I would say it starts by building a community around you who you really trust can be one person. It could be one person on Twitter. It could be, you know, it can be one person in person, but strike up correspondences with people whose critical feedback you really trust. So you can take a script or an idea and say, what do you think? And you know that they'll tell you the truth and you like their taste. That part usually helps. But I think you you have to have your people, especially now. I think people are feeling really tired and really scared and really burned out. And this is when, you know, having a community around you is, is really vital. Oh, I think that is excellent advice. And Emily, I want to thank you again for coming on the show today and allowing us to learn. My pleasure. Oh gosh, it's just been an Honor having you here and allowing our listeners to learn a little bit more about crowdfunding, the wonderful services that you offer. Oh, God, just a wealth of information shared. And it has truly, truly been a pleasure having you on 
the program, but I do think it's time to uh, fade out here. What do you think? Um, it's been a pleasure being here. Thank you so much. I need to go to bed. <laughs> well, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, that was Emily Best. Make sure you check out Seed and Spark, folks, especially if you are serious about making your film. I mean, it's common sense here. My God. On that note, we will be back with more after this break. You are listening to the Cinema After Dark podcast. My name is Max Cole, and I host this show. Hopefully you are feeling inspired. It's been a wonderful time this evening. I want to thank you for listening to this program. Make sure you tell someone how to follow this show on Twitter at Cinema After Dark. You can also subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Again, thanks for listening. We'll be back with more shortly. And welcome back to the program here tonight. Before we wrap, I do want to thank our guest tonight, Miss Emily Bess. What a wonderful discussion that was and again thank you kt for facilitating such a wonderful discussion my goodness so much information shared there my god hopefully you all find that as valuable as i did it's fantastic most importantly i want to thank you all for tuning in tonight obviously this show does not exist without you listening so thank you for listening to this podcast please spread the word about this show show someone how to follow us on twitter at cinema after dark Show someone how to follow us on iTunes and Stitcher, TuneIn and Google Play. I would greatly appreciate that. With that said, dream big, be humble, 